All right, do me a favor, track down a Bible if you can, and get with me to Psalm 46. Psalm 46. Uh, We switched gears a few weeks ago in light of COVID-19, and we began to go to the Psalms in order to hear from God and to steady our hearts. And so uh, it's been very helpful for me. I hope it's been encouraging and helpful for you as well. But this morning, I would like to look at Psalm 46 with you, and I'm going to read the text, and then we'll pray, and we will get to work. Psalm 46, for the director of music of the sons of Korah, according to Alamoth, a song. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. He, God, lifts his voice and the earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see what the Lord has done, the desolations he brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. He says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Let's pray. Lord, right now we ask that you would speak loud and clear. We want to hear your voice and we want you to steady our hearts. I pray, God, that over these next minutes together, that you would allow for me, your servant, to speak clearly, to speak carefully, and to speak in a way that's helpful. And at the end of the day, God, we just want to hear from you. So would you, by your spirit, through your word, Make yourself known in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, the first thing that I want to show you is this is a song. We are a singing people. If you look at the heading uh, in, in Psalm 46 at the, at the top of them, and this happens in quite a few psalms, it kind of gives us a little note about the psalm itself. It says that this is for the director of music, that it is of the sons of Korah, which are, are a musical group in, in uh, the people of God, and it's according to a specific tune, it's a song. And so what we get to learn about today is the fact that we can sing in the midst of calamity. If you're looking at the lyrics of the song, you recognize that there is trouble. And this song is meant to help people sing in the midst of tragedy. Now think about the times when we ordinarily sing. It's usually when we're happy. We go to a birthday party, we sing happy birthday. We go to a baseball game, and at the seventh inning stretch, we, we sing, take us out to the ballpark. Uh, we, we go to an event, and there are different times where we're singing along, and we find ourselves singing along, but this tells us that we don't only sing when we're happy, or when things are going well, or when there's an anticipation about an event. Believers are people who can sing even in the midst of tragedy. Let me show you an example later on in the Bible in Acts chapter 16. A couple dudes, Paul and Silas, were doing ministry. 
And the powers that be did not like the fact that they were continuing to preach in the name of Christ and call people to repentance and faith in him. So they, they kept saying, be, be quiet. We don't want you doing that. And they would not. So they arrested them and they beat them and they put them in stocks in the middle of a prison. And it tells us in Acts chapter 16, verse 25, that at about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. Paul and Silas, believers, were locked up in a prison cell and they didn't have a keyboard to accompany them. And they didn't have, you know, other, other voices. It's just them. It's the two of them, just like many of us are in our home with just our family. And they've just been beaten and they've been imprisoned and they're, in, they're locked up, they're in stocks and they are singing hymns to God. Believers are people who are a singing people And believe me, I understand how challenging that is. I don't have a voice for it. I can't carry a tune. But believers are people who sing because God is so incredibly good and we can sing even in the midst of trouble. So let me show you three things from this passage here that help us to sing. We can sing because God is present in our troubles. He is within his holy city and he is active in the earth. We can sing because God is present in our our troubles He is within his holy city, and he is active in the earth. Let's get to work. Number one, God is present during our times of trouble. This is in verses one to three. It's telling us that God is there. God is there while we are going through these calamities, and we can go to him, and we can find in him all that we would need. So look at verse one. God is our refuge and strength. An ever-present help in trouble. God is the one that we go to and we find shelter in him. You know, right now we're under orders to shelter in place or to be safer at home. We're under orders to stay in our house so that um, we, we, wouldn't, we would mitigate the spread of COVID-19. And we, we understand that that's an important thing to do now out of love for neighbor, that we want to we stay inside and we want to do the best that we can to not transmit this thing. And we go into our homes then, and and the hope is that by doing that, we are being spared from exposing ourselves or exposing other people to harm. And and we certainly want to do that, but this is telling us that believers are people who not only take refuge in their home, they ultimately take refuge in God. That they go to him and they find him to be the place that they are coming under his protection. That they are defending themselves from from harm. He is defensively their refuge, but he's also offensively their strength. He is the God who can wield his might on behalf of his people. And we see it over and over and over again in the scriptures that God is powerful and he is able. And in the weakness of the people of God, God often reveals his strength to be mighty and he saves them. And we believe that to be true, that God is our refuge and he is our strength, that he is the one who can heal people that he is the one who can cause a virus or a sickness to be still, to go away. That's the kind of God that we're dealing with, and therefore we sing. We sing because God is a refuge, and he's a strength, and he is present. It says, an ever-present help in times of trouble. He is there, and that changes everything. That means that we can go through Whatever experiences we go through, believing that God is there with us. But there is trouble. The psalm itself tells us as much. There is trouble, both in the day of this psalm being written and in our day 
with COVID-19, there is trouble. Look at verses 2 and 3. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. Troubles are here. The, the world itself is falling apart around them. Uh, the mountains, these, these items that they could look at and say, this thing is a firm foundation. This is a mountain. This is an immovable force in our world. And they're saying, but these mountains are falling into the sea. Or, or a language that we might use that's uh, more familiar to our ears, we would say the sky is falling. The world is falling apart around us and we can still sing because God is our ever-present help in the midst of troubles. But troubles are here. And I love that the Bible is honest about that. It presents things as they are. There is trouble. And my question is, are we prepared for it? I think most of us are actually somewhat unprepared. We are unaware of the fact that the Bible is so brutally honest about pain and suffering and difficulty. But it is there all over the place. Timothy Keller in his book, Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering, he quotes Dr. Paul Brand. Dr. Paul Brand was a um, doctor who was working in India with leprosy patients. And he did that for a portion of his career. And then he came back to the States and he, uh, he, he practiced medicine in the States for a season as well. And he wrote like this. This is what Dr. Paul Brand says. He says, in the United States, I encountered a society that seeks to, evade, uh, to avoid pain at all costs. Patients lived at a greater comfort level than any I had previously treated, but they were far less equipped to handle suffering and far more traumatized by it. What is, what is he saying here? What is he observing? He's noticing that in our society, we have an obsession with comfort. And we are absolutely allergic to any discomfort or pain. I think that it's kind of one of those shared societal idols that we we, we do not have uh, even categories to understand pain and difficulty. We, we want to outsource any experience of that. If somebody gets sick, ship them away. If somebody is going through a hard situation, get them professional help. Most of us are uncomfortable with pain and suffering. I remember uh, several years ago now, I was um, working on a day when most of the other pastors in our church were off. And I was in my office up in Beloit and a phone call came through. And because I was the only one there, it was sent through to my phone. And this family said to me, uh, I didn't know them. So they called in and they said, um, it was the lady. And she said, my, my father just passed away. And she said, I'm wondering if a pastor could come over and pray with us. I said, absolutely, I'll be right there. Just tell me, you know, an address and I'll, I'll be right over. And I went there and um, I go into the home and the family's all there. And the father, this woman's father, had passed away, but he, his physical body was still there. And so we gathered around and we prayed. And, uh, and then I went away from that experience. You know, the EMTs, they hadn't been there yet. Um, so, so we're there and we're praying. And I go away from that. And I remember thinking to myself, I don't know that I've ever seen death firsthand. I don't know that I've ever been in that experience before because in our society, we, we, we edit those things out. We do everything that we can to stay away from sickness and pain and death. And that's true at a societal level. I think it's also true within the church. 
that we don't have a, a, a solid understanding of pain and suffering and death. I've been saying for 13 years now, one of my convictions is that the church needs to develop a theology of suffering, that we have to become a people who can handle the brutal realities of life. And we ought to be the ones who are doing that better than anybody else because of the hope that we have, because of our awareness of God, because of the uh, ability to kind of look at things with realism and say, yes, it is broken. This is not the way that it's supposed to be. But we have a hope that transcends all of that. And so here in our text, the psalmist is telling us that there is trouble. And my question is, are we prepared for it? Many Christians have embraced kind of false ideas about God and about our relationship with the world that's broken. And so things like the prosperity gospel are very popular, where we say, if you follow God and you believe enough, then all will go well with you. And simply put, it's not true. The Bible presents a different picture. Jesus himself said, in this world, you will have troubles. But take heart, I've overcome the world. Many of us are too often like Peter. Jesus you know, during the Holy Week experience on Palm Sunday, like we're experiencing today and just previous to it, he was telling his disciples, we are going to Jerusalem and I will be handed over and I will be executed. And what did Peter say? And this is kind of what most of us do when we encounter pain and suffering. Peter says, no way. There is no way that's going to happen on my watch. And what did Jesus have to say to Peter? You don't understand. He actually said, get behind me, Satan. For you have in mind human concerns. You do not have in mind the things of God. Jesus was willing to, for the joy set before him, endure the cross, scorning its shame. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. He, he went through pain and suffering to bring us redemption. So Christians are people who ought to be able to sing in the face of the sky falling down around us. The earth itself is falling apart. So what is your foundation? If the mountains are falling into the sea and the waters are raging and foaming, what will be your security? Is it your trust in the medical development of a cure for this? Is it in your financial situation? If the world is falling down around us, we have to be believers who say, we are seeking refuge and strength in God himself. Come what may, we will be okay because God is our ever-present help. Look at the result of it again. Look at verses 1 and 2. Here's what happens when you have God as your refuge and your strength. Verse 1 and 2, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, in light of that, because God is my God, therefore, we will not fear. People who are believers have what we call a gospel confidence. Because of God's goodness, because of his character, because of his redeeming work through the person and work of Jesus Christ on the cross, we have hope, therefore we will not fear. Even if the world is falling down around us, we can sing because God is with us. Secondly, we can sing because God is within his holy city. In verses 4 to 7, God tells us something about his place of residence. And he describes it in such a dramatic way that we go from waters raging to quiet waters. We go from the waters foaming and surging to this river. 
these streams of water that make the city glad. We, we, there's this residence that God has that is a place of peace. Now, I don't know if you're like me, but pretty much every night recently, at the end of the day, I'll get on my phone and I'll go to the CDC website and I'll look at numbers. And I'll pull out the map and I'll look at the, you know, where are the cases at? How many cases in Winnebago County? How many cases are in Rock County to the north of us? And I look at all these different things. And then I kind of, you know, sometimes will think to myself, maybe we should get a tent and go to one of these other counties where there aren't any cases or very few cases, right? We're looking for that, that place of residence. We know we need to stay at home. We know we need to do what we can in this moment. But I look at those numbers and I go, is there a location that would be safer for us? And I toy with that a little bit, and I know uh, having conversations with people, uh, a lot of us are doing that. We're even looking at other countries and going, how did they handle it? What did they do? Is that a better option? But we want to know, is there a place that we could go to to find safety? And here in this psalm, we're reminded that there is a city of God, that there is a place of peace. Look at verse 4. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. Now, that city of God is a beautiful concept, and it's telling us something about this place where God himself dwells and where there is no pain, there is no suffering, there is no harm, there is no COVID-19, and that is where God resides. And we're told here in verse 4 that there's a river that makes glad the city of God. There's, uh, I mean, I wish we had tons of time to do this, but we don't. But there's actually a river that flows from Genesis at the front end all the way through the Bible to the very end. It's the river of God. That right outside of Eden, there were rivers and they came to a head there and they were creating this uh, beautiful garden, this beautiful environment. And then as you go through the Bible, you find people like the psalmist picking up on that language and saying there's, a, there's a, a river whose streams make glad the city of God. The prophets talk about this river. They talk about this incredible river. And then at the very, very end of the Bible, it shows up again. In, in uh, the last, actually the very last chapter of the Bible, it says this. This is Revelation chapter 22, verse 1 and following. It says, Then, the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. It, it's this beautiful picture at the end of the Bible is saying God has a river, and that river is life-giving. In fact, it goes on in chapter 22 to talk about a tree that is beside the river. And it is the tree of life, and it is producing fruit. And it actually says, it says that the, the, um, the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. That'll preach, will it not? I wish James Henry could be here. He gives me immediate feedback while I'm preaching. But man, there is a river that is life-giving. And it flows from the throne of God, and it flows through the very center of the city of God and the tree beside it has leaves for the healing of the nations. It's a beautiful picture, but it's telling us that God is within this city and therefore we can sing because we know that there is a place of residence that we could go to and we could experience that peace. Now, other cities, they don't have that claim. Verse six, nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. 
God lifts his voice and the earth melts. These other places are in turmoil. They're, they're, they're chaotic. The kingdoms are falling. They're failing. There's, there's overthrow and different things that are going on. But there's a difference be- between that city, those nations, those kingdoms, and the city of God. Now, what is the difference? It shows up in verses 4 to 7 in a handful of different ways. The city of God, look at verse 4. It's the holy place where the Most High dwells. The difference between the city of God and anywhere else is the fact that God is there. Look at verse 5. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. God is within her. That's the promise. The difference is the fact that God resides there. Look at verse 7. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. So there is a city of God and we want each and every one of you to take up residence in that city. And so you might be saying, okay, Cor, where is that at exactly? Because if you would tell me right now, I'll punch it into my phone, and I will find a way to get me and my family there. Where is that city? And the crazy thing is, unfortunately, I do not have coordinates to give to you. I'm not able to tell you that it's in a certain location on the earth. I'm able to tell you, here's where that city of God actually is right now. It's coming. Revelation 22 tells us it's coming down from heaven with God. And one day, you know, in the new heavens and the new earth, we will live there together with God. But in the meantime, the city of God is present in the people of God. One of my professors, he put it like this. He he says, surrounded by a world of flame, the people of God are the city of God. Melody talked about it in, in her little reflection before those first worship songs. We, it's not a church building. Buildings are empty right now. It's not, it's not a special religious location. The city of God is wherever the people of God currently are. And man, that's so, so beautiful because God is saying, if you go with them, that's where I am. In their midst, in their presence, bringing that peace. Now, I hope that's true of each of us that we are growing in our experience of God's healing work, his life-flowing river down the middle of our very lives. But that is where I hope that other people now are coming to and being drawn to as they see Christians reflecting the peace of God. So we can sing because God is in his holy city. Thirdly, we can sing because God is active in the earth. Look at verses 8 to 11. God is active in the earth. And so we're being told, come and see. Observe what God is doing. Verse 8, come and see what the Lord has done. Look at what God is up to. Look at his activity in his world. God will bring peace through his judgment. Verses 8 and 9, he will bring peace through the work that he's doing in this world. It says, come and see what the Lord has done, the desolations he's brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and he shatters the spear, and he burns the shields with fire. God is bringing about this incredible judgment on the earth in order to get us to the other side of it where there is peace. And that judgment is, you know, you you look at it here and you hear that he's breaking bows and he's shattering spears and he's burning up shields, but he is bringing his judgment so that the world might experience his peace. Derek Kidner, he puts it like this. He says, peace isn't the result of gentle persuasion but it is the world being forcibly disarmed. There's a tranquility, but it's on the far side of judgment. 
God is coming to make things right again, and you can see that in the historic episodes that God has given us in the Bible, that he has cared for his people, and he has poured out judgment in these different seasons in the life of the world, and, and there is a day coming where the clearest place that we would see this, um, well, there's a day coming when Jesus is going to return and bring the fullness of judgment, but in the meantime, the clearest place where we see judgment and peace come together is at Calvary. It's at Calvary. It's at the cross of Jesus Christ where the judgment of God is being poured out on the person of Jesus Christ himself. And, and, and therefore, by trusting in him, we can receive peace. Jesus was willing to go to the cross and he was willing to be cut off from his father so that we could be adopted and brought in. He cried out from the cross, why have you forsaken me? And the invitation is for us to come in and be gladly received as children of God. It's at the cross that we see what God is doing, that he is bringing judgment on the earth to bring about this tranquility and this peace. And he's saying it is available to you. And we exist as a church to help people know that reality, that God loved the world so much that he sent his son Jesus into the world, that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but would have everlasting life. And I hope that you've trusted in Christ as your Lord and as your Savior. And now you're trusting in him as your refuge and your strength. And you're believing that God is with you in the midst of this season. But that's one of the reasons that we exist is to help people understand the beauty of what God has done in sending his son. So what's our role then? What do we need to be doing? What do we need to be doing in the meantime? Well, it's very simple and it, it almost feels embarrassingly inactive. What we need to do is to humble ourselves. Here's what God says here in verse 10. God says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. But he's telling us, if you want to know what to do today, if you want to know how to receive this thing, humble yourself, be still. You don't have to go out and perform a bunch of different religious activities. Here's what you do. You humble yourself and you receive gladly what God has done for you. Be still and know that he is God. He is God and he is here. Verse 11, the Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. He is with us. Isn't it, isn't it interesting that that was the name that was given to Jesus when he was born? Emmanuel. God with us. Jesus is the one who brings the Lord Almighty to us. He is here with us. He is the one who is able to bring us peace. And so we sing to him. Eric Mason, he's a pastor in Philly and uh, much cooler than I am, but he said it like this. And so I'm going to quote him, but you should listen to him say it because it's a lot cooler. He's talking about helping his kids in the midst of COVID-19 and doing some, you know, family worship time and things like that. And he's saying, what I'm trying to do right now is teach my kids to learn to find where Christ is in the crisis. For wherever the crisis is, is where Christ is. We need to find Christ in the midst of this crisis. We need to learn to trust in Christ, the redeemer of our souls, the bringer of peace, the healer of the nations. We need to entrust ourselves to him as our refuge and our strength. Therefore, and when we do that, therefore, we will not fear, come what may. But we sing then to that Savior, to that Lord. 
Jesus Christ. So let me pray right now, and then I'm going to invite you to join in that song. So let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the work of Jesus Christ, that he reveals to us God with us. That is his name. And we thank you that we can go to him as our refuge and our strength, and that we can find safety in his shelter. We, we are so grateful that you are doing an incredible work of drawing people to yourself through your son. And we're grateful, God, for the healing that is to come. As we look at the end of the Bible, we recognize there's a day coming when not only COVID-19 will be gone, but all sickness and all pain and all death will be gone. And so we say, Maranatha, which means, come, Lord Jesus. We, we would love to see your face and for you to heal this broken world. And in the meantime, we've got a song because you are a good and faithful God. So help us to sing in Jesus' name. Amen.